0: The feds say they broke up a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Whoopi Goldberg says she's working on getting Sister Act 3 made. And BuzzFeed News politics writer and editor Catherine Miller is here to break down last night's debate and the wild sprint we have before Election Day.
1: The date, October 8th, 2020.
0: The Time News O'Clock.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown.
0: And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, Hayes, before we get into things, have you seen the show Emily in Paris on Netflix?
1: I have not. All I know about this show is that there is a girl named Emily and she is now in Paris. That is the extent of my knowledge.
0: You know what? That is the whole show. (laughs) Um, Okay, so if you don't know, it's about a girl who's from Chicago and moves to Paris because she is apparently good at social media. But let me tell you from the two episodes I've seen, she is not good at social media. (laughs) But anyways, Lou Minalti's Pizza, a pizza place in Chicago, sent out a press release calling the show out. Mark Minaldi said in a statement that it hurt for a joke about Chicago pizza to be included because of how much restaurants are struggling. He said, quote, when Netflix's Emily in Paris chose to take a shot at Chicagoans and our pizza to try to get a laugh, it felt heartless and not humorous in the midst of COVID-19.
1: Okay, that's. Pretty extra, but <laughs> Chicago is super extra about their pizza. That is a truth fact. I've had Lou Winolti's. It is absolutely delicious. I kind of want a slice right now, but wow, heartless.
0: I know they, they like really came for the show. And, th- and another part in the press release, they were talking about like, we love a healthy debate with like New Yorkers and Californians about pizza. And then I'm from California and I was kind of like. Do Californians have good pizza? You have a whole Is pizza kitchen,
1: like a... I thought. Yeah, that's
0: like, yeah we, have, we have CPK, baby.
1: <laughs> okay, it's time for today's top stories. So buckle in. Here's what you need to know. Last night was the first and only vice presidential debate of the cycle, and it was a thing that happened. We're going to dive into this more later in the show with BuzzFeed News editor and politics reporter Catherine Miller, but some quick highlights. The event as a whole was way, way calmer than the shit show that was last week's presidential debate, even if listening to the moderator calling time wasn't exactly Vice President Mike Pence's strong suit. It was really comforting in a way to hear them calmly and coolly just not answering some pretty key questions. Both Pence and Senator Kamala Harris were guilty of it, but Pence took it to a whole other level, often answering the previous question instead of the one he'd just been asked. Harris, meanwhile, gave the sort of disciplined performance you would expect from a former prosecutor, using most of her time to either hammer home her and Biden's record or attack the Trump administration's policies. In the aftermath, a CNN instant poll of registered voters who watched found that about six Six and ten, or fifty-nine percent, said Harris won, and over the course of the night, Harris's favorables increase from fifty-six percent to sixty-three percent, while Pence has stayed the same pre and post debate. That leads us to this morning when Trump called into Fox Business and said a lot of wild shit. If we're being honest, instead of talking up or highlighting the points that Pence made in the debate, Trump spent an entire hour on Maria Botanaro's show talking about whatever seemed to pop into his head. The biggest news from all of that was that after the debate commission said that a town hall debate scheduled for next week between Trump and Biden would be virtual, the president refused to participate if it was not in person. That's despite the fact that he's probably still contagious with the coronavirus. And you'll never guess what he thinks about the state of the polls right now.
0: So what do you the make of these polls I, then, Mr. President? I don't know. Do I don't believe understand these it. Polls? I don't believe them. I don't believe the polls because we've never had this much support. They have a boat thing. They have 5,000 boats. They have thousands
2: of trucks all over the country. I saw one. I saw one in my neighborhood. Maria, I don't believe the polls. And you had the same polls. They were worse the last time.
1: Boats. That's all after yesterday posting a video where you touted the antibody cocktail from Regeneron as a cure one that he promised would be free to anyone who wants it, despite the fact that he was one of the first 10 people to take it, and the company will maybe be able to produce 50,000 doses by the end of the year. Meanwhile, things in the Midwest are getting kind of intense, to put it mildly. There's been a major uptick in coronavirus cases in the upper Midwest, including both Dakotas. There have been more cases per capita this week in North Dakota than anywhere else, leaving the hospitals in the state capital, Bismarck, pretty much full. And South Dakota, which is right behind the north in cases per capita, now has the highest positive test rate in the U.S. Neither state has a mask mandate. In Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers announced yesterday that the state would be opening up a 530-bed field hospital. The state has seen its number of hospitalizations triple in the past month. The converted space on the Wisconsin State Fairground will be meant for patients who have been hospitalized but are recovering, freeing up crucial space for more severe cases. And in Michigan, where Governor Gretchen Whitmer has been the target of a lot of hate for her shutdown orders in the spring, the FBI says they foiled a kidnapping plot against her. According to the charging documents, six men were involved in a right-wing scheme to reportedly storm the Capitol in Lansing and take hostages, including the governor. After going through firearms training and failing to learn how to make bombs, they decided they'd abduct the governor at her vacation home and take her to a secure location in Wisconsin for trial ahead of the election.
0: Oh, this last story is absolutely wild. Came out of left field, but like... So
1: bonkers.
0: It's really bonkers. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of this was like happened on Facebook, like the communication about it, which doesn't feel smart.
1: I mean, but at the same time, they was in a Facebook group, which it can be private unless there's an informant leaking out what is happening inside those Facebook groups. And luckily, it seems like the feds had an informant cluing them in on this stuff because, I mean... It sounds like they were bungling, but they meant it, which is almost more scary in a way. You know what I mean? Like you got alleged dummies allegedly planning serious, serious crimes. That means it's more likely they're going to F up and hurt other people, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Also, okay, I want to talk about the debates because I think like something that I really didn't like was like, you know, some people were like, oh, this debate was so boring. And it's like, okay, no, it was calmer. And we don't want to, or at least I don't want to be in a country where everything is constantly like a Twitter soundbite. Like at one point, I would like things to be calm because things are under control or at least trying to be under control.
1: All right, Casey, pop culture, what is going on in the world today?
0: (laughs) Well, Saturday Night Live said that its musical guest for this week's show is out after a bunch of videos showed him breaking their COVID protocols. Morgan Wallen is a rising star in the country music world who got his start after performing on The Voice back in 2014. Last weekend, though, he showed up in a bunch of TikToks taken in Alabama after Saturday's college football game. They show him going to bars, house parties, drinking, and in one of them, making out with a random girl, which, you know, isn't the best idea during a pandemic. That apparently didn't fly with SNL, which has been taking a bunch of precautions to try to keep their performers and limited audience safe. So last night on Instagram, Wallen posted that he'd gotten a call saying he was no longer going to be performing this week. After apologizing to his fans, Wallen got pretty emotional about his plans going forward.
3: And on a more personal note, I I think
1: I have some growing up to do. Um... You know, I I think I've lost myself a little bit. I, I've i tried to find joy in the wrong places, and I don't know. It's left me with less joy, so I'm going to go try to work on that. I'm going to uh take a step back from the spotlight for a little while and go work on myself.
0: SNL hasn't announced who will be performing instead as of when we're recording this.
1: Dang, like, those videos were—he was going in—
0: It's like, okay, you cannot do that.
1: (laughs) No, you cannot. I, I'm very happy for the seemingly very happy women who post these TikToks who were just thrilled to be posting with him. But, uh, I'm glad that he's like taking this seriously though. It sounds like, like, it's nice that when there are repercussions for something like this, that he's like, not just like trying to talk his way out of it, but it's actually like, wow. I need to look at my life and look at my choices, huh?
0: Yep. (laughs) All right, moving on. This is something I think we all needed to hear. Whoopi Goldberg says that she's trying her best to make Sister Act 3 a real thing. (laughs) Whoopi was on The Late Late Show with James Corden this week and Corden brought up how every time Sister Act 1 or 2 are on TV, that's exactly what he's doing for the next hour and a half, which, same. So when he pressed her about why we never got a third installment of Sister Mary Clarence and her singing Nuns, she said, this
4: because for a long time they kept saying no one wanted to see it and then quite recently uh it turns out that that may not be true people might want to see it so we're working diligently
1: to try to figure out how to get every get the gang together
4: oh and my come god back
1: i would
3: love it together. so much
4: it's listen. It's a really fun movie. It's yeah. fun and it feels good. And, you know, nobody's mad. Nobody, you know, it's just like, listen, bad singing, great singing, OK, singing and then nuns. It's yeah. Better than that.
0: Now, this is Hollywood. So it's all extremely shaky on whether or not this actually happens. And we have definitely been burned before, but one can hope. <laughs>
1: Yes, we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> I want it to happen. I love the Sister Act movies. I one is a better plot. Two is a better like feel good movie, though it just is.
0: Okay. Yes, I was just going to ask you if you were in the one camp or the two camp. I'm in the two camp.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that did you see Sister Act one or two first? I saw Sister Act two first when I was a kid.
0: Oh my god, that's a good question. I kind of want to say I probably saw two first because that's what I would have seen like
1: on cable. Right, exactly. And so, and that one was way more like kid-oriented, whereas the first one is about her running from the freaking mob, <laughs> which they just totally ignore in the second one. Oh, we're, she's just a lovely singing lady from Vegas who wants to help youths now. No, she was a mob lady and she saw a murder and then ran.
0: Okay, so Hayes, in your wildest dreams, what's the plot to three?
1: Ah, geez, what is the plot to three? Uh, The plot to three is that sister mary clarence and the rest of her nuns take a trip to the vatican because they (laughs) sang for the pope in the first one but this time they go to the vatican to perform and they're all rusty and it's not going great but a young nun they find in a convent in italy who is black for some reason uh is joins up with the rest of the nuns and they perform and it's wonderful
0: way more in depth than i thought it was gonna be wow i'm impressed i want it go pitch it DM I,
1: I am going to disney right after this and making this happen case oh my god <laughs> okay when we come back we're talking about the debate and the absolutely exhausting sprint to election day stay right there
3: The NFL playoffs are here, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner. You can follow the action like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move to Six podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us bring knowledge from careers as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. After the Super Bowl, it's draft season. If you want to go in-depth on this year's prospects and learn what makes the top players stand out, There's no better podcast than Move the Sticks. We'll break down film from the professional and college games so you can know which player to look out for when the football season returns next fall. You'll learn a ton about the NFL, and I promise we'll make it fun along the way. We'll have several new episodes dropping each week, and you don't want to miss a single one. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl.
3: Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and... Discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars and directors who made the show so special.
0: Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years. And we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl?
2: Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious
0: stories like this.
3: At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke.
4: I believe that. I feel like I
3: did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was I, I, I tossed that one out.
2: Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. The last two weeks have felt like two years minimum, as we've been going through a barrage of October surprises. So when last night's debate between the vice president and Senator Kamala Harris felt almost normal, I wasn't exactly sure what to do with myself.
1: To help us figure that out, we're joined by BuzzFeed News politics writer and editor, Katherine Miller. Good afternoon, Catherine. Good afternoon. So... Yeah, last night's debate was almost eerily calm after last week's insanity, with both candidates kind of working to ignore everything that happened then. It was a relief for us, definitely, but did it actually erase that last round in people's memories?
4: I don't think anything will ever erase the first (laughs) debate, especially because last night was such a traditional debate, and so kind of like milk toast in a certain way, like even when the candidates were calling each other liars, they sounded pretty polite while doing it, and... The like the glitchy like chaos of the first debate between Trump and Biden was really memorable.
1: Yeah, it is burned into our brains forever. You're right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there weren't a ton of standout moments, but one that I saw a bunch on my timeline was Harris pushing back when Pence tried to talk over her. Susan, I, this is important, Susan, I, and I, I, I want to add, but Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have. To I'm speaking. Up. For a quick comparison, this was the first woman VP candidate, Geraldine Ferraro, debating George H.W. Bush in 1984.
4: Let me just say, first of all, that I almost resent Vice President Bush, your patronizing attitude that you have to teach me about foreign policy.
0: Does anything stand out to you in comparing those two moments? This was obviously a big theme of
4: of the night last night with people um, Mike Pence talked over the moderator and over terrorists repeatedly. He actually answered two questions twice. Mike Pence answered the previous question next. Like he went back and answered the old question. I do think everybody wants to talk about sexism with these kinds of interactions. Obviously, there are some parallels. I do think one real thing, though, is that people really don't like when candidates interrupt each other. We saw that last week It did not go well for Donald Trump in terms of how people viewed that debate. It seems to have been a big complaint last night against Mike Pence. The flip side is voters traditionally don't always love it when female candidates directly say that something is sexist. Elizabeth Warren talked a little bit about this when she actually got out of the race earlier this year. She basically said it's a double bind. If you say something is sexist, people say you complain too much about things. If you say there is no sexism, then people are like, "What? who's this idiot talking about there's no sexism? That's kind of the trickiness of this whole thing. like, I, And probably part of the reason why Harris didn't too often interrupt back. But on the flip side of this, I do think there's this core thing that people, voters at home, don't really like it when the candidates interrupt each other.
1: One of the weirder moments last night was towards the end when Pence started rattling off some of these like Obamagate conspiracy theories, you know, that the Trump campaign was spied on, etc. It sounded strange coming from him. Do you think that in a post-Trump era, it'll be harder for more quote unquote normal politicians like Pence to mimic some of Trump's greatest hits?
4: This is one of the big questions about the next few months, if Trump loses or even if Trump wins, regardless, in four years, there will be an open Republican primary. It does sound weird when Pence talks about those things. And part of that is probably him playing to the audience of Trump at home. But this is one of the big sort of looming questions of like how much Republicans going forward, especially the ones who have been around for a long time, want to embrace the stranger aspects of the last four years with Trump. Pence is obviously somebody who's been super close, I mean, glowing, you know, appreciation of, of Donald Trump throughout. There are a few Republican governors out there, like Massachusetts governor, Charlie Baker and Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, who've been more likely Trump critics. And then you have like kind of the bulk of the party that has a range of views. And in the aftermath of big elections like this, that's always kind of one of these things of how much people want to take up, like which parts of a president, People want to pick up and take forward. You know, this has obviously been such a huge part, though, of the last few years that it's kind of hard to imagine it really going away.
0: So first, Trump said he wouldn't participate in the virtual debate. The debate commission had planned for next week. The Biden campaign says they debate again, but only a week later on the 22nd. But do we even need more debates at this point? I mean, how much impact do debates actually have on voters in this particular election?
4: It seems like most voters have really made up their mind and have really made up had their minds made up for a long time. This is one of the most consistent polling elections there's been in a really long time. There just hasn't been many fluctuations. The last week, there has been more. Biden has obviously, you're seeing these polls raise up 12 or something like that nationally. Traditionally, there is a a bit of a polling bump after debates. You saw that in 2012 and 2016 um, for Mitt Romney and for Hillary Clinton, they both got a polling bump in their favor, and then the race tightened back down after some time had passed, obviously with Trump entering the hospital and the coronavirus outbreak at the White House. It's a very unusual time, and it's hard to know exactly how that will work for polling. But it is on some level really hard to know whether voters need to hear too much more from these two candidates on the
1: debate stage. Right. Like, I don't even know if they want more debates at this point. Like, I really just have no idea. And uh, yeah, we're in a pretty wild time right now, even more so than in 2016. And it can be hard to know where to put our focus, uh, especially as uh, media covering politics. Do you see any places where the political media might be making the same mistakes as four years ago or even brand new mistakes that we're making that we should really consider what we're doing. The fall
4: of 2016 was such a wild ride in terms of just like the sheer strangeness of the news events and the sort of complicated coverage issues that came up like how to cover hacking that I think are difficult and complicated issues. I think the big coverage issue right now, insofar as there is one, is making sure that science reporters or medicine reporters are involved in coverage of what's happening at the White House and what people are saying about is happening. Um, I definitely think people who closely have covered the coronavirus know a lot more about the trajectory of that and kind of what maybe is going on at the White House. and And that's not even necessarily related to the election, but it just seems like a very vital thing to have happen right now.
0: There are other races happening right now besides the top of the ticket. Which are the most interesting to you that aren't getting as much attention as they should?
4: The Senate races are pretty big. I do think that some of the Senate races that have gotten a lot of attention and brought in a lot of money aren't all that close this year. Like Amy McGrath in Kentucky running against Mitch McConnell. That is not a close race. She's raised a ton of money. The Arizona Senate race, Mark Kelly- uh, the husband of Gabby Giffords and a gun control advocate. It seems like that race isn't very close in polling. It may those polls may be wrong. The Texas Senate race actually seems to be somewhat close, which is a big surprise. John Cornyn is not Ted Cruz. You know, John Cornyn's a pretty by the book Republican and he's up for re-election in Texas. And that race could be close. And there's also some of these ones that are a little bit of a surprise. It's hard to know if the Iowa Senate race and the South Carolina Senate race um, are really as close as polling indicates. But, you know, sometimes you get into a general election situation where there is a big wave and a lot of stuff happens, you know, just because there is a big top of the ballot effect. And that could could be the case in Iowa. It seems like Iowa is a closer state than than many people anticipated going into this year.
1: So I know that we say this like every four years, but this campaign season has been truly exhausting with all of its twists and turns. Is there anything left that would surprise you in this year's election cycle? Anything at all where if it happened, you'd be like, wow, left field, did not see that one coming at all. I would be
4: really surprised if Texas were as close as it's being pulled. Or I would certainly be surprised if, like, Joe Biden won Texas. That would surprise me. But I have to say, like, the last few weeks, unfortunately, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And then all of the things that have happened just in the last week, It's I, I didn't really think I could be surprised anymore. And yet here we Trump. are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm surprised all the t- like, every 24 hours right now. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Catherine, if you were granted the power to erase one political cliche from Twitter, actually the entire discourse right now, what would it be?
4: I could really go without gimmicky stuff coming out of debates, to tell you the truth. Like the fly last night. Yeah. Or the fly on the fly during the VP debate was not something I wanted to. There's just like a moment you can see it and that's fine. And I don't need to see like branded swag
1: Right. And flywillvote.com from the Biden campaign.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't need to see like jokes about it. Like I just it can just be something that you see and it happens and it goes away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like a fly. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, we have time for one more thing. And Casey, I want to take you on a musical theater adventure courtesy of tiktok
0: you had me at tiktok <laughs> i'm ready
1: <laughs> okay so this started late last month when 27 year old new york city composer and musical director daniel Mertzluff posted this parody of a big act one finish from modern musical on his tiktok
2: and we're fighting
1: in a grocery store
0: This is so modern musical. It hurts. I love it so much.
1: <laughs> mm, I'm getting uh all of the current Broadway vibes. I'm getting uh just I can see what's his face. You played Benji from P- Pitch Perfect. Uh dear Evan Hansen kids st- feeling that.
0: Oh, totally. And this is did you ever did you ever um watch or listen to the last five years
1: no because I don't want to be that sad but I've heard (laughs) great things
0: but but you know it's very much that you know it's it's, it's like a very like realistic love story like you would realize you're not in love with your partner in a grocery store over a fight and then it's like but in a musical (laughs) oh but wait because things kicked up
1: a notch when tiktok user at another blonde posted a duet of that video playing the other half of the couple fighting
4: and we're fighting We are. We're fighting in a grocery store. Daniel, please, you can make this work. We are better than this. Because Maybe I love you. you.
2: But I don't know,
4: you don't know if I like you
0: anymore. No, please, I. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm laughing, though, because it's so accurate. I'm not laughing because it's dumb. I'm laughing because this is accurate.
1: <laughs> I know. I've laughed at myself when I first heard it because I got a little emotional. At better than this, though. <laughs> I'm like,
0: oh, damn, it you got me. I know. I'm like, Daniel. Don't. It's not the end. <laughs> Come on, Daniel. <laughs>
1: oh. oh, but then things kept going to the point that there are more than 500 duets of the original video, Casey. In this one, in this one, we have the couple fighting. Their kid a grocery store clerk, a can of soup, the squeaky wheel on a shopping cart, the bell on the automatic door, and another employee over the intercom. Casey, please see if you can pick out each of those in this harmonic mess.
4: And we're fine.
0: I was like being, I was holding my breath because I really wanted to hear the can of soup and then finally, (laughs) and then, and then finally I heard I'm a can of soup and I was like, there it is.
1: (laughs) Lyrical genius right there. I, I, I am a sucker for the big act one finishes like in Les Mis and in Hamilton, like everyone on fricking stage singing like 12 parts at once. And I'm glad that they really captured that in this.
0: They did. You know, I don't know what the next time is. I'm going to be able to go see um, a musical. And I really did imagine all of the cast coming onto the stage but looking at different directions because none of them are in the same place, but they're all sing- it's, you know, that kind of that kind of vibe on a stage. So I felt that. I felt it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Casey. And um I <sighs> I really kind of want this to become a real thing now. I want to eventually see this off, off, off Broadway production of Grocery Store the musical.
0: All right, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a talk with the legend Gloria Stefan about her new show, Red Table Talk, The Stefan's.
1: And remember, if you must fight in a grocery store, please wear a mask to do so. Otherwise, save your fights for grocery deliveries.
0: Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please
1: take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News Clock.
3: Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs.
1: To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed
3: with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs.
2: Try them now at bombas.com comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com comfy. When's the last time you took a timeout? I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play, and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney, and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health, and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're peeling back the layers around why society makes it so easy to guard men's time like it's diamonds and treat women's time like it's infinite, like sand. And so whether you're partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is a place for you, for people of all family structures. So take this time out with us to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, reclaim your time. Listen to Time Out, a Fair Play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.